And will you join me as I pray? Good and gracious God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, for you alone are our rock and our redeemer. And let all God's people say, Amen. Amen. I guess it was a couple of weeks ago that I began seeing headlines in the news and then posts on social media, and then eventually even a few of you sent me links letting me know about this new thing that was going on called an AI, or artificial intelligence, chatbot. ChatGMP, some people were calling it. According to the creators of this AI chatbot, it enables users to ask questions or tell a story, and the bot will respond with relevant, natural-astounding answers and topics. The interface is designed to simulate a human conversation, creating natural engagement with the bot. Doesn't that sound romantic? <laughs> In other words, it's conversation and content on a seemingly limitless set of topics that can be created which has lots of wonderful potential applications, I'm sure, although it's already raising alarm. Because you can ask it, for example, to write your 20-page term paper for college on any one of a number of subjects. I'm sure giving a heart attack to our college professors who are already trying to chase down plagiarism. Or it could potentially eliminate the need entirely for human journalists. The list of possibilities and challenges is nearly endless, all of which I'm sure is very interesting for some, I was interested in the hypothetical situation in which, let's say, a local church pastor <laughs> found himself or herself the week before Christmas still wrestling with a Christmas Eve sermon. And what if, hypothetically, I signed, I mean, he or she signed up for this website and asked it to generate a Christmas Eve sermon? I wonder, hypothetically, what it might sound like. Dear friends and family, <laughs> as we gather together on this Christmas Eve, let us take a moment to reflect on the true meaning of this holiday. At its core, Christmas is a celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. This day is an opportunity for us to remember the love and sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us. It's a time to be thankful for the blessings we have, to show kindness and generosity towards others. Seriously. Let's not forget the real reason why we're here. Christmas is a time to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the love that he brought into the world. So let's spread that love and joy to everyone we meet and have a merry old time. And if all else fails, just remember there's always eggnog. Ho, 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 Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm not making that up. That's actually from the AI chatbot. Chatbot's a little sassy, by the way, isn't it? So to be fair, I'm not sure that the AI chatbot is our answer for a Christmas Eve sermon, but I did begin to wonder if it might be a wonderful illustration for a Christmas Eve sermon, especially here at First Press this year, because it turns out that AI is not really artificial intelligence. Instead, this program is populated with billions of sources of information generated by human beings. In other words, it's not so much artificial intelligence as it is accumulated intelligence. Though I suppose it's up to you to determine whether the results you get are intelligent or not. But I was struck by this idea of 
gathering and synthesizing both the global breadth and the historic depth of the collective human experience, especially this year, because our Advent and Christmas theme here at First Presbyterian has been shaped by our friends at A Sanctified Art and entitled, From Generation to Generation. You'll see that title on the cover of your bulletin tonight. We've used it throughout this series. And the meaning behind that title is described by the women who created it. They write, The stories, scriptures, and traditions of the Christmas season have been passed down to us from generation to generation. Many of us enter this season with a swell of memories and emotions as vast as the cultural and religious rituals this holiday holds. Like a tapestry woven throughout time, the Christmas story weaves us in to remember how God has shown up for us in the past, to continue the work of redemption, to behold the presence of God in flesh and bone. From generation to generation reminds us of the ways our lives, our histories, our actions and stories are interconnected and woven together, that the work of God is always unfolding in us and through us. This Advent, we remember that we belong to a story etched in the wrinkles of time, to generations that have come before us and that will come after us, and to a love that will not let us go. From generation to generation, a theme that has been beautifully articulated by our liturgical arts team in the banner behind me, and uh, there's another one in the narthex, others around the church, where symbolically, brilliantly colored fabrics are woven together, representing the interwoven stories of the generations of our lives. We've seen it too in sharing some of our Christmas photos together out in Shepherdson Hall of the generations of our lives gathering to celebrate Christmas. Miriam and I shared a Christmas village, a Dickens village that we inherited from a generation of our family that's on display out in the hallway there by the lobby office We've celebrated it together by having multi-generational families light our Advent wreath and lead us in those readings as the Vestgard and Gray family did tonight. A wide range of ways to think about and lean into this theme, including in our study of scripture and reflections each week, in which we've been learning about how the settings and contexts out of which we come, both biological and spiritual, shape the foundations upon which we stand and give meaning to our lives. We can trace this truth through our family trees, of course, but we also discover wisdom, inspiration, courage, and faith from both the triumphs and the trials and tragedies of our spiritual ancestors, too. Over these past four Sunday mornings, we've looked at those who are often featured as the main characters in the Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, and their extended family, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And yet tonight, I want to suggest that maybe they're not the main characters, or at least not the only characters from which we should draw inspiration and direction for our lives. Luke, in telling the Christmas story, begins by painting a scene or setting the stage for us, writing, in those days a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor in Syria. Now, we know that this part of the plot is there in order to generate the next piece of the story, which sends Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. But I think Luke has another purpose in mind as well. Because remember, a registration or a census in that day and age was not done to compile a fresh 
up-to-date demographic set for social scientists or to dole out federal funding or to redraw congressional districts for a House of Representatives. No, the purpose of a census was twofold. First, to determine the number of soldiers that were available in any given occupied land. Soldiers that would fight somebody else's battle in somebody else's land. And two, to sign up taxpayers, people who would pay taxes to the emperor, the majority of whom were living on the very edge of poverty and would suffer even greater strain while they filled up the coffers of Caesar. In other words, as Luke is setting the scene, it's a dark scene. People living in poverty under the crushing weight of an occupying army with little chance of relief and little hope for a brighter future for them or for the next generation or the next. Luke is making it clear that Jesus is not born into the setting despite the circumstances, but precisely because of it. As Jesus himself would later say, you don't send a physician to those who are well, but to the sick. And in this case, you don't send the light of the world into any other place than that which is darkest. You don't send the light of the world into any other place than that which is darkest. The incarnation of Emmanuel, God with us, God's presence with and for us, does not coincidentally come alongside those at the margins of society, but specifically to the least of these, to find community, belonging, worth, and worthiness among those for whom these necessities are far too often in short supply. And then, to sharpen the point, just a few verses later, Luke tells us that God chooses the first public recipients of this good news to be shepherds. Shepherds? Considered by most in their day to be bottom-rung, blue-collar, suspicious at best, smelly at worst, people who both figuratively and literally live on the very edge of society. Shepherds. Shepherds who we tend to think of as peripheral characters in the nativity scene. After all, how many of you have a nativity scene in your home? I want you to go home tonight and I want you to look. Who's in the middle of that scene? The Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And then just a little bit off to one side are the Magi and their impressive costumes with their gifts. But then further off to the other side, maybe a little ways away from the other side, are the shepherds, the smelly shepherds with some of their animals. Let me put it another way. If the characters in the nativity were the cast of a Broadway play. At the end of the play, the shepherds would be the first ones to take their bow in their very plain and ordinary costumes. And then the magi, because they have fancier, blingier costumes. And then would be the angels, because they have the most beautiful vocal parts in the Broadway show. And then, finally, the last ones to take the bow, wouldn't it be the holy family of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus? And yet, while... Of course, they are the center of the story. For Luke, the shepherds are on center stage far longer in the story. Have you ever noticed that? And perhaps this, in and of itself, is part of what the angels mean about this good news of great joy for all people. That the light of Christ is sent into the places that expect it the least because they need it the most. Maybe you need to hear that again tonight. The light of Christ is sent into the place that expects it the least because it needs it the most. A reminder, by the way, to us that we can't tell the story of Jesus without including the outsiders, those of low estate, the humble, the poor, the marginalized, 
the discriminated against, those with whom Jesus would find community, would live his life for and then give his life for. That's the good news that the angels share with the shepherds. Surely the least deserving and least expected recipients of a singing telegram in all of history. Hark, the herald angels sing, we just raised our voices in unison to say. Good news of great joy for all people. To you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find the child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And remarkably, remarkable to me at least, the shepherds believe without hesitation and they go without haste. They don't doubt for a moment that this is true and that it's true for them of all people. They go and see, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us, they say to one another. And then, and this is the truly astonishing part for me. If you've been Googling AI chatbot for the last 15 minutes, put your iPhone down because you're not going to want to miss this. After the shepherds saw the sign of the holy family and the infant Jesus wrapped in bands of cloth in a manger, Luke tells us that they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. And I imagine that the shepherds would have most shared this with others who were most like them. That is, people who lived on the margins, people who most needed to hear the good news, to be reminded that the good news of our God, Emmanuel, is a God of tender, humble, self-sacrificial love. The good news for all people, not just some people, not the popular or the powerful, the secure or the successful, but for all people. So what happens is that while the angels have delivered the good news, of great joy to the shepherds. Now they, in turn, are the ones who are sharing the good news with others. They've taken the baton from the angels and taken on the role of God's messengers themselves. And I doubt that they can sing in perfect harmony. But they do have a song to sing of God's infinite love poured out well into an infant, one who will be a savior for us all. They become the angels. I'm reminded of a song my friend David Lamott often shares in which he sings, we are each other's angels. We meet when it is time. We keep each other going and we show each other signs. Tonight, perhaps you're here in the midst of challenges in your own life or feeling the weight of the world as so much in our world is not as it should be. Maybe like a midnight shepherd, you're feeling like you're on the periphery of the world stage in your oh-so-ordinary costume, and life seems to hold less promise and purpose for you than you had hoped or imagined. Maybe tonight you are looking for a sign, and as impossible as it may seem, you may also be invited to make known a sign for someone else in your life. Friend, tonight there's good news for you. A savior, our creator, the divine and human flesh has come in humble attire, a gentle and generous spirit, born among people on the margins to teach and feed, to heal and lead them and all of us towards a better way of abundant and eternal life. 